Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King Church. And uh, I want to welcome everybody here at our Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at Ferndale as well. Good morning. We are glad that you are here. And we want to welcome everybody who's joining us online as well. Thanks for taking the time to uh, click a few boxes on your computer and come to church with us. We certainly appreciate that. I'd like to introduce the guy sitting to my right-hand side today. Some of you are familiar with him. Some of you have never seen him before. Uh, so Christ the King, this is Pastor Dave Browning. Can you welcome Dave this morning? We're glad that he's here. As we get ready to start talking this morning, here's what I want you to know. The fact that we are sitting here side by side today is a miracle of God that only Jesus could have authored. And we're going to tell our story today because it's a story of grace, love, restoration, and friendship. We've been doing a series called The Road Out from the book of Exodus. And we started this series with these amazing anchor verses that kind of, to me, sum up the entire journey of the Israelite people as they're getting ready to to exit out of Egypt on the road out. Exodus 2 says this, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. We've got to get this right from the beginning. In the deep pain of the Israelites, when they cried out to God, this was God's response. He heard them. He remembered them because he never forgot the relationship that he had with them. He saw exactly what was going on in their world and he was deeply concerned about them. That means so much, so much because that's the way God responds when we cry out to him. When we don't know where to turn, when we feel like we've been taken captive, we need to remember that God still hears us. That God remembers, he doesn't forget us. That he sees the circumstance that we find ourselves in and he's deeply concerned and wants to walk with us. Last week, we had a moment of complete surrender. It was a powerful moment. We put a cross right here in the center of this preaching platform. And we had an invitation during the message for people to come up and write out their identity. To write out what they had been taken captive of. And they crumpled it up and they threw it down, just like Moses did. They threw it down at the foot of the cross and then they walked away with a new identity in Jesus Christ in their hand. That was last week. And this week, we're going to have a moment of restoration. A moment when we get to see some of the most amazing work that God can do. You see, right after God does the deal with Moses and the staff, Moses throws the staff down and becomes a snake. Moses turns into a seventh grade girl and squeals and runs. God sends him back and says, you got to grab that thing by the tail. And he does, and it turns back into a staff again. Right after God does that, God does another miracle to prove to Moses that he's going to walk with him on the road out. This is what the Bible says in Exodus 4. It says, then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. In the simplest form, that miracle whispers a profound and simple truth that goes like this. God has a heart 
for relationship. Surrender and restoration. That's what God loves. That's some of the best work that God does. And he's been doing it all through history. And he continues to do it today. And this weekend, I want to invite you, whether you're here in Bellingham or in Ferndale, to get a front row seat on a miracle of relationship, surrender, and restoration. Here's the story. I came to Whatcom County in 1995 to talk about Jesus to high school and middle school students and to work for Dave Browning. I was minding my own business up in Canada. Dave was down here in Washington pastoring a church in the Everson Nooksack area and he interrupted the easy stream of my life with an opportunity to move to Washington. In fact, Dave put together a little team and they flew out to Steinbach, Manitoba, Canada where my wife Laurel and I were ministering and we sat down together and, and they talked about what life could look like for us in Washington. We loved our church, we loved what was going on there, but it felt that God was kind of nudging us in a certain direction. Dave actually had the audacity to sit down with me in a restaurant and the words that came out of his mouth basically said this, you could stay here in Steinbeck and be comfortable for the rest of your ministry life or you could take a step of faith, pack up your life and move to Washington and change the world with me in Jesus' name. <laughs> well, if you're going to put it that way, let's go. So that's what we did. In the first nine months of our ministry here in Washington were everything that I thought they would be and more. Felt like I was living a dream because I understood Dave's leadership and I desperately wanted to follow where he was going. In the fall of that year, Laurel and I experienced a family tragedy when our 15-year-old niece passed away from a brain tumor. We flew home to Saskatchewan to be a part of Tanya's funeral and... Uh, after we had gone through the day of her funeral, the next day in the afternoon, the phone rang out on the farm in a little town called Herbert, Saskatchewan. Don't try and find it on a map. It's hard, but it's there. A group of uh, deacons from the church that we were ministering at out here in Everson had flown to Regina, Saskatchewan, and they were calling us and saying that they needed to come out to the farm because they had something that they needed to talk to us about face-to-face. -face. I remember thinking, what in the world? could be so important that a group of people from Everson would fly all the way to Regina, Saskatchewan. They're like, how do we get from where we are to where you are? I'm like, see that road in front of the airport? Turn right, drive two hours. We're right there, first farm on your right-hand side. But I hung up the phone and told Laura, I said, there's a group of guys coming out here. They say they've got something they need to talk to us about face-to-face. -face. I remember what Laurel said. She said, what did you do? I'm like... I don't know. I'm freaking out. In the next two hours, man, we were freaking out. When they got to the farm, we gathered in my in-law's living room. And the guy who was leading the group said, there's no easy way to say this. Dave's had an affair. And he's no longer the pastor of our church. I was devastated. Devastated because Dave was my friend. Devastated because Dave was my pastor. I was angry because I had picked up our whole life and our family and relocated to Washington, and now our world had been turned upside down. 
They actually told us, this group who came, that they'd understand if we didn't want to come back to Washington. And they actually offered to box up all of our stuff and send it back to Canada. I remember my wife's response to them when they said that. She said, God told us to come, and until God tells us to leave, you're stuck with us. I married way over my head. Yes, I did. <laughs> when we got back to Washington, it was hard. The week that we got home, Dave and I actually got together and sat down. And Dave asked for forgiveness for what had happened. And the truth is, I said that I forgave him from here. But not from here. I had an opportunity to extend grace, but I didn't because I was angry. And I kind of settled into what was left of what we were working with out there in that Everson area of dealing with the devastation. And I just let anger creep into my heart. And if you thought I was angry in the following weeks, you have no idea how angry I was when I heard that Dave was actually going to that church. See, I was out in the Everson Nooksack area and I had a problem with a church called Christ the King Community Church. Because they had the audacity to make room for somebody who'd hurt me. I was frustrated. And I became a very loud critic of that Walmart church. That big church that was an inch deep, mile wide. They couldn't even be using their Bibles on Sunday mornings because you can't get that many people in one place at one time. If you're telling the truth, they had to be watering down something. And I became a critic of this place. I didn't know how Dave could sit in the back row of Christ the King. But that's exactly where he found himself. Dave? My wife... Kristen and I, we were hanging on for dear life, and we came to Christ the King probably because there was no other place to go. When you blow your life up in a major way, in a public way, like I did, there aren't a lot of safe places to go, but we would slip into the back row of Christ the King, and we'd come late on purpose. So we didn't have to talk to anybody. And we'd leave early on purpose. So we didn't have to talk to anybody. And in the meantime, I would be sitting there looking at a little coffee cup that said, forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. And I remember just staring at this cup week after week. But also hearing the message that was coming out, which was that this truth, truth is, is held dear to people here. And I remember looking at the mission statement in the program that said we're here to create an authentic Christian community that effectively reaches out with love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And I was blown away by that. And this church made good on that mission. I think we came here as opposed to maybe going nowhere. I mean, I remember my wife and I having conversations about not going to church at all that it had been such a painful thing. Of course, my action had been the ultimate painful thing. And we talked about just not going, just staying at home, minding our own business. But the people here loved us. 
I got into a small group, a men's group, recovery group, and I was scared to even come to that first meeting. And I remember on the drive to the meeting thinking, I'm not going to tell these guys who I am or what's going on. Whatever I do, I'm keeping my mouth shut. And I got in this circle of guys, and the leader comes out with his story. I mean, just brutally honest, very transparent. He goes to the next guy. He barfs up his stuff. And it goes all the way around to me. It was like everybody here was being completely honest. And I came out with this whole story about how I was a pastor, how I had an affair. And I really thought that these guys were going to head for the exits. But it seemed like the more that I shared who I really was with all my brokenness, with all my character defects, that these men came towards me and really loved me. And it was here after a while that I actually got involved uh, in kind of a weird sort of way. I, I, my wife and I, we showed up at a Awana parent meeting because we had two little girls and we wanted them to be a part of the midweek kids program. And, and the Awana commander asked, has any of you led Awana games before? And I don't know what possessed my wife to do this, but she pointed at me. And the Awana commander picked me out in the back row and said, oh, you've led Awana games? And everybody in the room turned and looked at me and started to applaud. And I guess I was the new game director for Awana. And I walked out of there going, whoa, I'm not even sure I should be a part of a church, much less serving or doing anything in a church. And the message that came back to me is, no, Dave, you're just like anyone else here. You can be involved. So for two years, my ministry was game director on Wednesday night for the Iwana kids, and I loved that. At a certain point, I was approached about being a pastor again, and I said, no, absolutely not. There was a lot of things uh, that I wasn't sure about, but this one thing was sure. I will never pastor again. I was very clear about that. And actually, this church set up an arrangement where I was going to pastor for six months. It, was a, it had a starting point. It had an ending point. And, and they said, just part-time for six months. Let's see. And I did do that. I felt led. I felt called to do that. And for six months, just part-time, well, the story goes on from there. After those six months, it had become so obvious what God was doing in my life that I stayed. And I continued to pastor here. And the people here loved me and took care of me and helped me uh, in a profound way. There, there's a picture in the scripture, I think, of this sort of thing. It's in Luke 15. I think the, the text is in your handout today. But it's the story of the prodigal son. And that picture actually was painted by Rembrandt. Rembrandt has a marvelous depiction of this homecoming of this prodigal and of course the focus is on the father and the son the son's kneeling down there and and i would be that son on his knees but there's some details in this picture that i think really are artistic and clever and one is when you look at the prodigal's feet one of the things you notice is that one of his sandals has come off that that even as he's kneeling Things are coming apart for this man. I think it's such a picture of the disrepair that was in my life 
when I came to this church. Uh, my internal workings were wired up wrong. My goals had become my God. I didn't really know how to love my wife. I didn't know really where I was going. My, my career was all busted in pieces. I had damaged so many people. And yet, this is the point where you come to Jesus. I mean, some of you may be sitting here thinking, if I could get my stuff together a little bit more, maybe then I'd come to Jesus. And I'd just say, no, come now. God doesn't love you because of how good you are. He loves you because of how good he is. And so you see this in this picture. You also see over the shoulder of the father a shadowy figure that is just an observer, an onlooker. And one of the joys that I have had and you've had by being a part of this story is seeing so many homecomings. What a blessing to watch people come to Jesus. And we've seen it over and over in Bellingham and other communities. Uh, that is the great joy of my life now, to see how many others can follow. And then the last detail that catches my attention are the hands, the hands of the Father. The way those hands fall on this prodigal is almost in a protective manner. Sin has its own built-in spanking, which is why when somebody comes back, we don't really need to give them a spanking. They've already been through it. But you see these hands that seem to say, I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. And this church, you were the hands of God in my life. And so I'm grateful. I'm, I'm indebted. Um, I love this place. And really, there, there are three stories that, that interest me. One is Christ the King in Bellingham. I'm very, very interested in this story. The other is my friend Grant's story is very important to me. Um, I feel like God brought me to him at a certain point, brought us together, and I've never lost sight of that. And then the third story is what God is doing in so many places through the Christ the King story. Uh, those are the stories that uh, mean something to me, but it started here when a prodigal hit his knees and you were there to be God to me. While Dave's story of restoration was being written here, my story of angry, uh, our anger and bitterness was being written at the same time. When I got back to Washington the week after I heard the news about Dave and, and, and his life and where it had gone, I walked into a, the church one day and there was a group of people standing around and the conversation fo was focusing on Dave's nameplate that was still hanging over top of his old office. The conversation went something like this. I don't want to take it down. You take it down. I'm not taking it down. You take it down. And I'm the new guy, so finally I just got a screwdriver and said, I'll take it down. And I remember the pain of taking that nameplate. I was going to throw it in the garbage, but something made me not do that. So I threw it in the back of an old filing cabinet, closed the door and thought, whatever. Went on with my life being a critic of Christ the King Community Church. And when I look back now at those moments and the things that I used to say, I think God must have been sitting up in heaven going, if you had any idea what I had planned for you in the next couple of years, you would so shut your mouth right now. 
I mean, it's just God's unbelievable sense of irony. Years later, God started doing a work in my life when it came to grace. And I remember him confronting me with a very simple statement that went something like this. Who are you? Who do you think you are to receive my grace and forgiveness so freely and not give it to somebody else, to extend it to one of your brothers who's trying to put his life back on track? Who are you? I remember that confrontation and I remember one day going up to my office and going through some old files and, and hearing something in the back of this filing cabinet rattling around. And I pull it out, and, and it's a nameplate. It says Pastor Dave Browning on it. I heard a rumor that Dave was actually going to get back in the game at Christ the King Community Church. And, and God had been working in my heart so deep and so, so succinctly. I got in my car that day, and I, and I drove to where Dave was working. Dave was working at a Christian radio station. And I walked into the radio station, and Dave was sitting behind his desk, and I remember walking in and holding up that nameplate and saying, I have no idea whether you deserve this title or not, but I think that's actually up to God, and I think it's about time that I resigned from that committee, because this is between you and Jesus, not you and if God wants to put you back in the game, awesome. I disappeared, and, and as Dave told his son about the prodigal and how he finds himself in the picture kneeling in front of the father, the truth is, I'm in the picture too. If you look really closely at the picture off to your right-hand side, there's a guy standing with his hands folded and, a, and kind of a smug look on his face. If you know the story, there's an older brother in the story. And when the prodigal comes home, the older brother actually gets really, really angry. He gets angry because he can't understand why his dad would have such an amazing moment of grace with this prodigal son when he was the faithful one. He was the one who stuck it out. He was the one who didn't shift, who didn't move. He didn't run away from home. And somehow he just finds himself in this self-righteous position, saying God's grace is the Father's grace is good enough for me, but it's not good enough for him. Henry Nouwen wrote a favorite, famous book about that particular story, and I love these words. He writes this. He goes, as I look at the lighted face of the elder son and then at his darkened hands, I sense not only his captivity, but also the possibility of liberation. This is not a story that separates the two brothers into the good one and the evil one. The Father only is good. He loves both sons. He runs out to meet both. He wants both to sit at his table and participate in his joy. The younger brother allows himself to be held in a forgiving embrace. The elder brother stands back, looks at his father's merciful gesture, and cannot yet step over his anger and let the father heal him as well. I had to allow my Heavenly Father to embrace me too. And to let His grace wash over my legalism and my rules and what qualified and what disqualified. I had to allow God to do a work inside of me too. And I'll tell you this about our stories. Our stories are not nearly as different as they are common. Because our stories are both of two of God's kids 
who were wrecked and ruined and saved. Our story goes like this. One was saved from moral failure. The other was saved from a failure of grace. God put those stories back together again. Because Dave showed up here in the back row, and years later, <laughs> I showed up in the back row too. Broken, frustrated, hurt, angry. And I hid in the back row of the old meeting place, not knowing where to go. And this amazing group of people who actually practiced what they preached and said there was forgiveness for the past and hope for the future, they began to embrace me and my family. About three months after we visited for the first time, I was loading my books into an office. The irony of the story was the office that I was taking was being vacated by Dave. He loves to take down my nameplate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is with that. But I'm moving stuff into an office, and Dave and I were like ships passing in the night. We just missed each other because while I was moving into the Christ the King story, Dave was being relocated in the Christ the King story. Dave, why don't you tell us where you were going and kind of what happened on that? Well... Easter of 1999, we did an, an overflow service from Bellingham uh, in Skagit County. We had one small group that was meeting in Skagit County. And among a long list of things that I was doing, I was overseeing this small group down there. And so we decided on Easter to do something down there. And we thought there might be 25, 30 people that we could get to come to a little service down there on Easter. And we had 134 people that showed up. And so the next Sunday night, we came back, and over a series of four Sunday nights, that group grew to over 200 people. And I said, we have to find a pastor for these people because they're not going away. And, and I was told, you're the guy. So I was a, an accidental church planter and went down to Skagit County. And what I found was that there were many people in Mount Vernon, Burlington, Cedar Woolley, who needed the same kind of love, acceptance, and forgiveness as I had experienced. And it became my passion to see anyone, anywhere, be able to receive what I received here. And so since then, the Christ the King story has continued to hive off in different directions in Snohomish County and uh, Island County and San Juan County and then into other states. There's a couple of Christ the Kings in Oregon, a couple in Colorado, couple in Idaho, Montana, some of the more recent ones are in Daytona Beach, Florida, Chicago, Illinois, Austin, Texas, and the story continues to go, and then into other states and other countries. I mean, um, Christ, there are Christ the King groups operating in about 30 countries now around the world. So it's been a joy to just see how God has continued to, to welcome prodigals, and it's been a joy to see where these prodigals are, and how God is reaching out to them. A couple of months ago, Dave and I were having a conversation about how cool it would be if God started putting some stories back together again. And what, what, what would it look like if we could keep telling the stories? Dave actually just got back from a worldwide tour visiting Christ the King groups all over the world. India, Nepal, Pakistan, Thailand... South Africa, Kenya, 
Philippines. Philippines, and the list just keeps going on and on and on. We're actually a part of a pretty amazing story. And we started talking about what it would look like if, if Dave was able to continue to do the work there, but, but also come in and, and give us some help in some certain areas. And so about three weeks ago, Dave actually started back on staff here, Christ the King Bellingham. He's going to work here Mondays and Wednesdays, as well as doing all of his other stuff. And he's a pastor of strategic ministry here. He's going to help us make sure that all of our ministries are moving in the same direction and pulling on the same rope and saying the same story. And I have a nameplate. And he has a nameplate. <laughs> and, and the message that we want to keep saying is there's forgiveness for the past. There's hope for the future. That's the same story. And we get to share the same story because of one reason. If you're here today, prodigal or not, and you know Jesus, it means we all have the same dad. The same forgiving father. Only God could have written this. Human beings are not that creative. Only God could have put in pieces together as we've gone on this amazing journey. And the story of God, that he loves restoration, that he loves surrender, that he loves relationship, is being told today, and it's been told for centuries. In fact, if you look back into Exodus, where we're going to dive back into full force next weekend, you can actually see the heart of the Father all the way back in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, the Bible says that God said this. This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And we're going to watch through Exodus when they get it right and when they get it wrong and when they become prodigals and when they become older brothers. Israel's my firstborn son. And I told you, speaking to anything that would try to block or keep prodigals from coming home, I told you, you let my son go from his past, from his failure, from his anger, from his bitterness. You let my son go. So that he may worship me. This story is being told over and over and over again. And what a joy to know. That if God can restore a prodigal and an older brother. And allow them to tell this amazing story. How amazing is it that we as a church family. In Bellingham and in Ferndale. Get to tell this story together. Over and over and over again. Amen. Let's pray together as we close. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for a story that started out very broken. It could only have been repaired and healed by you. And I thank you, God, that you still use church and the broken people of the church to be those protective hands that welcome both prodigals and older brothers alike. Father, I thank you for Dave's story. I thank you for the miracle of what's happening in Skagit County and the counties to the south and in the different states where Christ the King stories are being painted and all around the world. And Father, as we become aware of everything that you're doing globally, we want to make sure that all the praise and the honor and glory goes back to you. Because you're the father who welcomes the prodigal home. So God, I thank you for an opportunity to brag about you and talk about you. 
Let's pray that you'd bless Dave in his ministry and, and as he has an opportunity to, to speak into our story once again. We just thank you for the creativity and the love that you pour into each one of us. God, I pray for those who might be running from you today. I pray for those who, like me, may just find themselves being very angry. I pray that they would run home to the Father because the Father is running to them. So, Lord, I thank you today for that story. May it continue to grow, and may it continue to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Awesome. Hey, can we thank Dave for coming and sharing? Awesome.